Welcome to the Music of America podcast, where every week we visit a different state in America and meet a different guest in the music industry. Every day, Monday through Friday. We begin in Alabama, and we end in Wyoming. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. Let's talk music here on the Music of America. The Music of America podcast continues this week. We begin New Hampshire with chamber music and a variety of classics from a variety of musicians. We'll talk to Dorothy Breaker and Louise and Mary. We'll talk to at least three of the performers after we talk about this. It's the jingle that hits like a single. That's the slogan for Jingle Lingo, an advertising vehicle designed to create a unique and personal jingle to promote and position your business. Make it stand out above the crowd. Think of all the musical jingles you may have heard through the years. Who wrote that? Who came up with that jingle? Well, Jingle Lingo can and will put your business into a higher vision and focus on all your advertising needs. Jingle Lingo, custom-made, custom-designed with you and for you through the talents of accomplished singer and songwriter Courtney Davis Jackson. Check them out today and get to work on your own personalized musical jingle from Jingle Lingo. www.jinglelingo. The jingle that hits like a single. I am so excited about this, so excited about this, because I, at first, I love doing this podcast. It's the, one of the best retirement projects anybody could take on. But one of the things I really wanted to do is have a variety of music on the Music of America podcast. I've had a nine-year-old piano player, and I've had an opera singer, and I've had record collectors and uh, artisans that create things, but I've not had an orchestra or chamber music or anything that represents classical music. So I'm really, really excited today to introduce, if I can get these all right now, Louise Candle, uh, Mary Toes Beck, and Dorothy Breaker, who are representing the Aliento Chamber Players out of East Kingston, New Hampshire. Ladies, good morning, or welcome, or hi. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, chamber music is just, to me, it's just beautiful, and it's relaxing, and it's artistic, and it's uh been around forever how do you define it dorothy exciting Please? to me it's not necessarily relaxing yeah. um it can it can be as loud as a rock band it can mm -hmm. be as you know and it can also be very quiet like a folk um duo but it but it has a very huge variety you have to remember we have 400 years of music to draw from that's true. So That's true. it's not, it's not, um, you can't really define it um, as relaxing, which is interesting because that's the first word that came to your mind, right? Yeah, yeah. Fascinating, huh? I find well, it fascinating. I, it is funny. I, yesterday I saw this guy, a, a reels of a guy wearing a white snake t-shirt, you know, black t-shirt with white snake on there. And he's playing a really heavily distorted guitar, but he was playing Bach, yep. you know? Uh, wow, that was really cool. Louise, how would you define chamber music? I think it's very intimate, and I I like to be one on a part. We all play together in the orchestra. So many people come together as one, and we have a leader. Whereas in the chamber music setting, we're one on a part, and we listen to each other intensely and communicate. It's a beautiful communication, and it also brings people of all ages. You might be playing with a cello cellist who is ninety, and you might be playing with a first violinist who is eighteen. You know, we all bring yeah. it together and. We learn from each other, and it's just marvelous. Mary, how about you? 
Well, I think of chamber music as kind of a musical conversation between a small group of people, you know, and as a pianist, a classical pianist, there's so much solo stuff out there and we spend a lot of time working on solo stuff. So to play with a, a small group of other musicians is always just such a joy and a privilege. And, you know, it's, it's entirely different from what we, a lot of us have trained to do in the solo world. So. What what makes up a chamber orchestra versus an orchestra orchestra? How would you define or dis, what would that distinction be? As Louise said, it was one on a part. So instead of having um, a a lot of people, for instance, a violin section is usually like twenty violinists. Mm -hmm. Twenty. Yeah. As opposed to you have your own part, you play your own bit. And then you uh, sit together as a group and weave the sound together without a conductor. You all use the same piece, right? When you're, now, let me back up with me because I've, hang on, you're shaking your head. No, let me ask my question first. <laughs> my background has no classical training whatsoever. You know, I, I sang in choir in high school, I sang in choir at church, uh, raised in the Catholic Church, so I sang a lot of Latin but I've had no classical training. My classical training is very limited to what I learned in music class. You know, I, I learned how to say Tchaikovsky, you know, <laughs> that was about as, as far as it went, but I never performed classical music. And I did shows. I played in bands, but not in orchestras. So my, my experience is very limited of how uh, classical music is and how it's presented. And this is one format where it's presented. So I was going somewhere with that now. So it's, it's the weak coffee. It's the weak coffee. That's what it is. <laughs> Louise, yeah. Well, maybe picture of help when you're in a choir, you would have many sopranos, many mm -hmm. altos, many tenors, many basses. Versus in a, a quartet of players, you will have one soprano, one alto, one tenor, one bass. Right. You don't have the support of others. You know, if you don't know your part, you can't lean on anybody else in chamber music. You you have to know your part so well to fit into with the others. Whereas when the orchestra and the choir, you can slightly lean on the other and and, and whatnot. Does that make sense? In the choir, yeah, no, you the, put many that, on your part. That that leads me to where I was going with this now. So like 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 Dorothy, you're going to have a cello. Like if you're all playing Schubert, right? You're going to have the the piece that you're playing. You're going to have the cello part, and Mary will yes. have the piano part. You're not going to have the full orchestration, like this is where the bassoon would come in. So you just have your piece, Dorothy. <laughs> With the exception of the pianist, Mary Mary can talk. <laughs> yeah, I, I get the privilege of seeing the whole score. Okay. Um, so I'm looking at all the parts. So I can always tell everybody, you just played a wrong note, you know, <laughs> of doing that. Um, but I think every other player, they're looking at their individual part. And very often in their parts, they will have cues, you know, if they have, uh, a long rest, you know, where they're not playing. Mm -hmm. They'll have very small notes, a cue of whichever instrument is going to lead them in. So they've got that. That's about all they have to rely on. Please. And also in the modern times now that I know Dorothy here, for example, she has the iPad, you know, when she's doing, there's the traditional paper music printed, mm -hmm. but, you know, many people now in chamber music setting in August will have the iPad. And there are now quartets that play from scores. This is a, I, I think oh, recently wow. there was a famous quartet, I forget, it's slipping my mind now, but they all play from scores because they play from iPads and they can change. And then they have a more intimate connection. We all study the score, 
when we play our part so we know what others have but we don't typically only have our own part in front of us when we play paper music but with the new technology we might we all be able to play from scores in the future and have more of a direct input from what the others parts instead of having to refer to a paper score i got you now is mary then are you sort of like like a foundation on most songs like you play the the foundation of the song and then louise will come in and add her part but the constant is like the piano piece and then dorothy does her thing and it comes back to the piano or does that vary song to song it it does vary but very often yeah the piano is kind of the harmonic foundation if you okay. will very often um so but it does vary a lot and especially in more modern music you know it definitely can you know where it's not so harmonically based it might be mm. different define modern because when i think of chamber music i think of <laughs> classics and classical music and i'm thinking like two or three hundred years or or further back you know 12th century 15th century whatever what is modern in the the culture of chamber music there are so many um years unfortunately frequently when we're speaking about modern we're speaking about 20th century usually mid 20th century but we are now 24 years into the next century so yeah. a lot of things have happened um you're used to seeing notes as a as a classical musician and mm -hmm. and quite a number of composers stopped even using staffs Really? So you actually, there's so many new things that are being written that um, they have to give you a page and a half of description as to how to play it. Wow. And there are many, um, many things that you're using your instrument for. So for instance, Mary would have to prepare her piano in a way that would be able to play that piece, put pieces of paper in between the strings, uh, you know, all sorts of very cool things. I have had to play the actual bridge of my instrument, which doesn't ever get played. It just holds the strings up. Right, right. But actually play the wooden bridge with my bow wow. to make a whooshing sound. No, I get that. I, I play guitar. So, so, so there's, classic, there's things that... Right. And you're in the car and all of a sudden the dis sound disappears and you hear this, what is going on? <laughs> so, so modern music is really fascinating. So that's why we're saying that it's not necessarily, if you listen to something like the Kronos Quartet, almost all of their music is written for them the year they play it. Okay. They're Let's... a fully classical quartet. Okay. Super now, exciting. There are three of you. Is there, are there more members of the Aliento Chamber players, or is it just the three of you? This, this was actually created, Mary and I were part of the original set of people, and Louise actually came along very, very soon afterward. And it's been about 16 years, there are many of us. And we, mm -hmm. we create, chamber music is a lot of different things. Right. So you can have, you, you know, string quartet, you know, piano trio, there's piano quintet, and we're going to discuss a string sextet, which we, okay. we created during the pandemic, which is why we called it a garage band. <laughs> so Louise and That's I, fun. along with four other colleagues, we would get together in a garage with our masks, mm -hmm. with with the feet, in, you know, in between us, with a slight crack in the door, and an fun. air cleaner. 
and, <laughs> and, and practice these wonderful Brahms sextets that were written years ago. So how did this all come about? So you said you and Mary were founders, I guess. How did that mm-hmm. happen? You're having tea one day or you bumped into each <laughs> other at the grocery store and said, oh. Not I'm a sorry. glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> That's an option. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, I love it. What was no. the, the genesis of that? This this organization, this this Mary, where approach. did we meet? Do you remember? Yeah, I do remember. Um, so I moved from... England to New Hampshire, 2007. And I met Dorothy at a music school, remember? Mm -hmm. Um, Shortly thereafter. And uh, Dorothy said, hey, let's get together and play. And so we got together and just kind of read through some music. And I think Dorothy, you had already started, in all honesty, the beginnings of this idea of Aliento. I'm not sure it had a name yet. Um, no, it didn't yet, but yeah. aliento means breathe. So we felt that it was a breath, um, you know, the breath of life, basically. That was yeah. one of the, yeah. that was one of the um, interpretations for the word aliento that I read. And I just loved it. Yeah, that's great. Music. That's really good. So how did, how did Louise and other members, how did they uh, gravitate toward, well, it was the two of you and who else? Who else was in the initial uh, aliento chamber players? Just the two God, of you? Or? so long ago. No, there were four or five of us. Uh-huh. Louise came along very, very soon after. I already knew Louise. Oh, okay. Louise and I met through a woman who was, I think, at the time, 89. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And then a lovely man who had come from Long Island by way of Beirut and Paris. And he introduced the two of us together uh-huh. christine stewart that's a long time ago yes how many members yeah. are in the aliento chamber players now probably 25 30 and do you ever all play together all 25 or 30 of you play together no it's chamber music okay <laughs> well i don't know i how mean unless would... you're talking about an orchestra we have all been on stage together in an orchestra i believe yeah at one okay. point in time that's fun but and there's so, vocalists in there too so no i guess not the answer is no so is it uh one player per instrument in a chamber setting or will you have two cellists will you have two pianists sometimes how does that yes, yes. louise there are different constellations. So we have a pool of people, maybe 30 people. With them, we form little groups. Maybe a pianist, a singer, and a cello. That would mm-hmm. be a, a trio. Or we have, uh, like we had a sextet. We would have two violins, two violas, and two cellos. Or there might be a two-cello quintet, where you have the string quartet with two violins, viola, and then two cellos. That's a two-cello quintet. So there are many different constellations. It's unlimited, you know, how the combinations we can do. And chamber music has been written for so many different constellations. Hundreds of years of music out there to play. Mm-hmm. How yeah. did you how did you pick Trout by Schubert? That's that's one of the most famous chamber music pieces ever written. Yeah. Just three players on that particular piece or their variations of it it's like variations of every every song i guess you can have as few or as many i i I use the word voices instruments louise 
I think we have love. Every of us have our own favorite, our own desert island chamber music pieces. I think we are, there are some that you would say it's world famous. Everybody will recognize and they put it on the dryers. But we all have pieces that warm our hearts. and we. So if it's not written for our instrument, we may find a transcription where they rewrite it so that oh, you can okay. play it too. Uh-huh. You know, so that happens a lot. Like, oh, I really want to play that so much, but it's not for my instrument. And then you will find a transcription so you get to play it. Well, the reason I brought up Trout by Schubert is that's the first song that we're going to play here of the Aliento Chamber Players, and that's the three of you, correct? No, there's five people in that particular. I have Mary on piano, Ryan on violin, Jesse on viola, Dorothy on cello, and Robert on double bass. That's it. Right. Okay. So, Louise, you're shut, you're shut out on this one, right? <laughs> yeah, but she comes in in Brahms. Okay, and I also get to play Schubert soon. We have we had a plan to play Schubert the trout this Sunday, but we snowed in. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. You guys got, got hit by this. Uh, yes, so we were scheduled Easter, to yeah. play this particular piece and we snowed in, so we had to reschedule. So this is a you said, Dorothy, this is one of the most famous chamber pieces out there, most popular, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. This piece here. Uh, is it played just in chamber or is it played by orchestras? Is it played just as a piano piece, Mary? Or how is this usually presented? I think it's generally presented as a quintet. I've never heard it rearranged for anything else. I don't Please. know if you guys. When you're teaching, you often double up on parts until the students are strong enough. So they might love, really love a piece, but they might be not strong enough to hold their own. And then it's, as a teacher, effective to double up on parts. And then you're not so vulnerable in a performance if somebody's sick or somebody, you know, can't show up or doesn't know their part well enough, they can lean on each other. So in a teaching situation, you might, might often double up on the parts and expand, which originally is just one on a part. I got you. Well, let's give it a listen. The Guests today are the Aliento Chamber Players, and the first piece we're going to hear is a song. Is it nicknamed, Dorothy, did you say it's nicknamed? It's Trout? a nickname, the Trout. What's the actual name of the piece? Oh, it's boring. <laughs> it's okay. That, just, just for my um, own. Quintet in A major. Opus 114. 114. There we go. Opus 114. Or, and and, and then, then there's a there's a D number, C667, because uh, somebody... Um, categorized all of them and cataloged it, and and so the D is is letting you know who cataloged it. Oh, okay, that's so interesting. I've mm. I've always seen these titles. I have no idea what they mean. Like just like that, it's like what what is this? It's it's called whatever. I mean, we listen to Stairway to Heaven. You know what the song is? It's Stairway to Heaven. But in your world, when somebody says trout, everybody knows what you're talking about. Somebody could come up and say trout to me, and I'd say, yeah, it's in the fish department over at the grocery store. <laughs> As, and it's actually it was actually written um, about a poem. Oh no, kidding! Trout, uh, the trout in German, die Fore. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, well, let's give it a listen. This is the Aliento Chamber Players and their interpretation of Trout by Schubert.
Trout by Schubert and our guest today, the Aliento Chamber Players. Mary Louise and Dorothy will be back with us after I talk to you about River Ridge Farms. It's Vermont's recreation lovers dream, a gorgeous, gorgeous vacation rental nestled in the Green Mountains of Vermont. River Ridge Farms is an escape to everything wonderful Vermont has to offer. This historic farmhouse is set atop 16 acres of fields with mountainous views, a pasture, a pond, tree-lined river frontage. Go and enjoy this beautiful spot right in the heart of the Green Mountain State. Along with multiple nearby mountain resorts and ski resorts, breweries, biking trails, hiking trails, and other tourist attractions, this spot is unique due to the multiple mountain views and the resident farm animals. Or just do a farm stay in the comfortable modern farmhouse which sleeps 11 guests easily. There's enough space to throw an event or just relax and rejuvenate in the beautiful Vermont landscape. Check them out, River Ridge Farms on Facebook, but you have to check River Ridge Farms Jeffersonville. Apparently there are lots of River Ridge Farms across this country. Uh, Airbnb also has them. So River Ridge Farms Jeffersonville, River Ridge Farms Vermont, Vermont's recreation lover's dream. Our guests today, well, three of them, our three guests today, we're just going to go with with Mary Louise and Dorothy, all representing the Aliento Chamber Players out of East Kingston, New Hampshire. Is that correct? East Kingston. Yeah. And uh, the next piece we're going to feature has a really cool story. It's Brahms Opus 36 Sextet Agatha. And Dorothy, off, uh, off mic, you were telling me the story about Agatha, and it's just really... Like I, I, you talked. I talked to so many different singers and songwriters, twenty first century musicians, and the songs that are inspiring and why they wrote this line or why they wrote this piece or how this came to them or whatever. The songs that are inspired by lyrics move me so much, and the story you just told me about this moved me the same way. So please explain to us about uh, Opus Thirty Six Agatha. So Agatha von Siebold um, was a woman that Brahms, it's the only woman that Brahms was ever engaged to be married to. He did not ever marry. Uh, he broke off the engagement. Actually, she might have broken it off. And at the time, he was in, in love with her, and he wrote these this second movement of this sextet with the notes A-G-A-H-E, H being the B, to represent Agatha. And it's one of the most sultry, passionate and, and loving slow movements you will ever hear, I think. That's my personal opinion. And I just, I just thought it was so incredibly beautiful. Brahms writes so beautifully when he's thinking of other people. And there's, I think only one other piece where he does that for a lovely child and he writes a lullaby, which mm -hmm. we've all heard. Right. I mean, you think of Brahms, that's what you think of is the Brahms yeah. lullaby. And so that lullaby is written for her child by another man. Oh, no kidding. Wow. Mary, you're awfully quiet. <laughs> well, this I am not a part of. So, and oh, I, okay. I don't know the piece. So I'm going to stay out of the conversation about Brahms. Okay. As much as Brahms actually wrote some beautiful piano trios that um, are among my favorite. And I think as a group, our favorites. Do you have a, each of you have a favorite composer? I would That's never a, name a favorite. 
It's yeah. like naming a favorite child. Yeah. Yeah. If most people, that's one of the questions that they first ask when they find out that you're a classical musician. So who's your favorite composer? You know, uh -huh. and, and I think my pat answer is it depends on the day, <laughs> depends on my mood. It depends on the piece or where I am. You know, it, it's just such a wealth of incredibly rich, great music to choose from. And some composers um, wrote a lot of great music and mm -hmm. other composers wrote a little great music, but you know, there's just so much out there and it's hard to choose. Years ago, I sang in a choir church and we learned a piece called The Miserere and it almost broke us up. It was so difficult to learn. And when we learned it and when all the parts got together and I used the phrase, found each other, when we found each other and we came together. It, it's singularly the most beautiful piece I've ever performed as a vocalist and the toughest piece of music I've ever had to tackle in my life. Do any of you have a story like that with a particular piece? Almost every piece. <laughs> 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 I walked into that one. <laughs> no, you know, and I love how you just said when we found each other, because that's what chamber music is all about, mm -hmm. is that generally the method is we all re practice our parts individually. We come together, we read through it and go, oh, God. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is so much work to be done. Then bit by bit, we rehearse, we chip away. And then you have those moments where you're, you know, perfect synchronicity. And you're just together. And and going back to the, the group's name of aliento, meaning to breathe, we breathe together like one organism. And oh, okay. when it all clicks, it's amazing. So, you know, there again, there are plenty of beautiful pieces out there that can move you and move you to tears. But those moments as chamber musicians where you really feel like you're totally connected and and you're playing together as one. It's incredible. Please. And I think as an audience, you feel that when the performers are that connected, that's when we communicate in this dialogue, not only between us, but with our audience. And you will feel that connection. And at the end, there's that silence that you can almost touch. You know, it's thick. You know, and, and it is that moment before the applaud that just the magic hangs and like the physical in the air. That happens with me with opera, and I'm not a big opera guy. But when you can get so caught into the story in another language through the passion and the emotion that's performed by the singers as well as the music that's played, you know, that supports them. And that's what you're talking about here, right? That that emotion, that passion, it gets drawn in because you're you're sucked into it. Or you suck us into it the way you're sucked into it, I guess, right? Dorothy's nodding, yes. <laughs> It's 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 important. To, um, the audience is is an equal part when we are performing because you feed off each other. Yeah. So if you don't have that as performers, we are not going to give you that same um, incredible emotion because it's a conversation, as Mary said. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, I get that way with jazz. Yes, you it's know. very like jazz. It's very, very like jazz. 
Um, and and when jazz was being created in the 1920s, classical music um, fed off of that, and you hear many things that are very jazz-like. No kidding, huh? Can you give me an example or um, the Ravel Trio? You yeah. Know. Really? Yeah. yeah. Ravel. Maurice Ravel was uh, early 20th century French composer. And uh, there's a lot of jazzy elements in his incredibly difficult music. <laughs> but, yeah. and, and apparently George Gershwin um, went to France to study orchestration with Ravel because Ravel was a master orchestrator. And, I seem uh, to remember that something about that reading or learning about that at one time that Gershwin was influenced by jazz. Or jazz mm-hmm. was influenced by Gershwin. I'm not sure which. Well, now. <laughs> oh, I think it was a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. yeah. Gershwin is considered kind of a crossover because, you know, George Gershwin also wrote musicals and he mm-hmm. wrote, uh, you know, he was very much a crossover in his very tragically short life. But, um, you know, mm-hmm. he, he was a bridge between popular jazz and classical music, like, like Bernstein has mm-hmm. been, you know. Yep, Bernstein, um, Rebecca Clark, which Mary and I have worked on together, uh, is is also has so many jazz elements because because Rebecca Clark lived in the United States. Now this this piece, this uh, Brahms piece, we talked about Agatha. We have some new voices in here. Uh, do you want to tell me? Because I'm not going to even attempt to pronounce some of these names. <laughs> <laughs> I have Zoya Bolagovsky. And then Louise was was the other violinist. Um, we have Karen McConomy. McConomy. Oh my goodness, what is wrong with me? Jan Hertzler and myself, Dorothy Breaker, and then Nancy Hare. So we have six people performing. And the piece was written for six. For six people. Okay. I'm see see how I'm learning. I'm I'm getting this now. Mm-hmm. The sextet is the jumping off point for an orchestra because it's it's uh, it's when you have six voices, you can interknit them so well mm-hmm. um, that that it starts to become orchestrated. So <laughs> then, Dorothy, you said a sextet is a jumping off point. Like there's no septet, there's no octet. Yes. Well, there are. There is an there octet. Are, okay. There is then an octet. When does yeah. it stop being a a chamber and becomes an orchestra? At what point? You add brass and winds. And oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you can also have chamber orchestras, which are much larger groups. And what defines them is that it's a small orchestra without a conductor. So very often the first violin, the concert master, will sort of stand in as conductor. Okay, um, so but, someone stands but, in, but there's not really a conductor that just... I mean, George play with the Lowell Chamber Orchestra, which does have a conductor, but it's but there's um, yes, yeah, Mary's right. In many instances, they're the first violinist who is the called the concert master. Okay, will conduct using their body. Louise, you had something you were. Well, I'm just thinking that the largest chamber music piece I played with, like without calling it an orchestra, was Spores Nonet. I think that, and that's for nine people, right? So, so, so I think that's that's as large. Or Berwald, there's a Swedish composer too that that was uh, nine people. And I think after that, ten, and then bigger. That's always had been my in my mind. Then it's an orchestra, a chamber orchestra. Now, how long is this piece normally? If you played it start to finish, how long would this piece be? I think forty minutes. 
Because what we're doing here is we're not playing the full piece. We only yes, have it's 42 the... minutes typically. Wow. Right. So I have condensed it for you. This Thank is you. this is the crib notes version. <laughs> this is how this is my how I got through college version of <laughs> well the piece is Brahms Opus Sextet. Is it named Agatha or is it named Opus 36 Sextet slash Agatha? Agatha is just a nickname. Oh, okay, just like Trout. Correct. Okay. So, so we always hear Opus 36. And then we always think, oh, that's the one that begins with the viola. Yeah. Okay. So I recognize Opus 36. I didn't, I got lost after Sextet Agatha, but that's how I have it written out. So Opus 36 is a real familiar piece. And we're going to hear it now with the Alianto Chamber Players here from East Kingston on the Music of America podcast.
Canto Chamber players and Opus 36 from Bronze, or Agatha, as we will now refer to her. Beautiful piece. I was talking to a friend of mine about my brother's couple's workbook called Two Years After Forever. It's sort of a how-to guide to improve communication skills, which, as anyone knows, it's ever been in a relationship is crucial. So we spoke a little later in the conversation. I mentioned the book again, Two Years After Forever is the name of the book. I told you my brother wrote, and she interrupts me. She goes, oh, what, your, your, your brother's book. I thought you had a book you borrowed from your brother. Three little words, my brother's book, two interpretations. In two years after forever, there are exercises that help you form better communication skills to avoid pratfalls like that one. Along with your partner, learning and applying these exercises help you get back on track to why two years ago you pledged a life together forever. Two years after forever, available at twoyearsafterforever.com or at Amazon today and forever. Mary Louise and Dorothy, our guests today from the Aliento Chamber Players here on the Music America podcast. And the last piece we're going to talk to is a duo. But it was something interesting that you said, Dorothy, that uh, you can actually have chamber music played by one person. Usually requires two or more, but you can actually say that, say the way you said it, because I'm probably butchering what you said. <laughs> I think you said it exactly. You encapsulated what I said. Oh, honestly. <laughs> It, it, that that is basically what it is. You have to have two or more, only because then you play alongside one another with one another together mm -hmm. as a chamber group. However, chamber music actually means something that is performed in a smaller, not a concert hall, but a but a smaller chamber. venue, often in a home. Okay. Often after dinner, instead of what didn't even exist at the time of many of these pieces. There was no television. There was no radio. There was, you know, there wasn't even electrical light. Wow. So, so, you, so your pieces had to end before the candles did. <laughs> that's a, Literally. That's one. Uh, Louise, what's the smallest group you've played in? Well, that would be two people, like two with people. A, another cellist. I mean, often when we play weddings, weddings uh, uh, with Dorothy, uh, it would be just uh, Dorothy and I, uh, violin and cello. So two is like in in Sweden, you know, to buy a group ticket on the train, you have to have two. <laughs> That's the mini group. You know, oh, like, okay, so, okay. And then then you qualified for the group discount. Yeah, you, you have to be two on the train. But yes, so smaller it could be also with the pianist that's very intimate and, and all the sonatas with equal parts. There's so much music written for solo violin and the piano is just accompanying and letting you shine. But mm -hmm. in the chamber music setting, like a sonata, we're like the two wings on a bird were equally important. You know, the, the violin and the piano in the sonata. Mary, have you and Louise played just the two of you together? We have. Yeah. I Trying to think if we uh, just the two of us have ever actually performed together. We've played a lot together. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I guess that's what I meant was a performance, not a performance. I can't think of one. Can you, Louise? No. Whereas I, Dorothy, I, Dorothy and I have played a lot together, just the two of us. I, I picture this like in a band, a, a band setting that I'm familiar with, you know, with a drummer, bass player, guitar, and so on and so forth. And yeah. Some of you are, are guitar players that also play acoustic guitars, and some of you are drummers or whatever. So you have one sound, one dynamic when you don't have keyboards, for example. You have a different dynamic when you have horns added. You have a different dynamic when it's just two guitar players. And that's what I'm getting 
a sense of with chamber music that you can have all of these pieces, but they're all strings, right? Let me get that right. They're all strings, right? In chamber music? No, no, no I'm they're getting, not. They're not? Okay, correct me. Where am I wrong? Every single instrument can be part of a chamber music setting. No kidding. I've seen guitar. Um, we frequently played with, with clarinet, flute, harp. I mean, everything. Um, well, guitar and harp you know, are both bassoon, still string instruments. That's what I was saying. So you can get bassoon, wins. percussion. Wow. Anything. Every, yeah. Absolutely anything. East Asian instruments. Um, there are scorings for almost everything you could ever imagine for chamber music, honestly. So if you and had piano, violin, viola, tuba. Yes. It's still it wouldn't sound so great, music. but yes, you yes. could. Um, there are, there are typical, I mean, a tuba is typically in a brass quintet uh -huh. instead of the double bass, which you usually, if you have strings, you would usually not use a tuba, but yes, you could. So chamber music, in my world, it's not just string instruments. It's more the piece. Yes. Okay. And the venue. And the venue. Okay. Yeah, it would be kind of loud if you're playing in my parlor and somebody shows up with a trumpet. and. <laughs> well, I mean, trumpet is used quite frequently. We're about to do some stuff with trumpet. Yeah. So it's used quite frequently in chamber music. There's a lovely, um, there's a, I think it's a septet. Um, trumpet and Camille Sasson. Okay. Way back there. Now, Mary, you said that you and Dorothy play a lot together. The next piece we're going to hear uh, is Mujinsky, right? And that's, that's the two of you playing together. Yes. Who, uh, who singled that piece out? Well, Dorothy, I think you had it in your collection. And uh, we read through it and went, well, this is interesting. So let's do it. I, when was it written? Can you remember? Late 60s? Uh, I think it was the late 60s. The, um... yeah. And I think you also uh, coined it as the dinosaur piece. Because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> it sounds like a dinosaur. <laughs> There's a but I also, you know, you start to hear um, kind of, film music in it a bit, uh, you know, when you listen to this. So it's second half of 20th century, this piece, um, which in our world is fairly modern. Right. That's what we were, yeah. it's back to that now that's modern yeah. because it was done in the 21st century or 20th century. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and yeah. you know, the, the problem with uh, being a classical musician, um, our audience almost expects certain kinds of music and especially because we're not in a big city <laughs> um introducing them to more modern music which very often can have weird stuff in it it can be dissonant and um a little uncomfortable at times it it can be more challenging to listen to it's really hard to program a lot of that music mm -hmm. um, but the musinski actually Audiences have loved that piece. It's very listenable. You know, it's what I would call mildly dissonant, um, but it's also almost kind of cinematic in a way. Um, so, yeah, with the, the couple, we've only performed it, I think, a couple of times, and it's gone down very well with an audience. You, you touched on something that I didn't realize 
and uh, you're, you're not playing New York City. You're not playing Boston. You're not playing Montreal, right? You're not even right. playing Burlington. You're playing right. in a very small community, basically, when you're performing. And and drawing from a, probably all these other areas, but still, people are... I'm imagining if I grew up and all of a sudden they stopped playing the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, right? And I couldn't find the Rolling Stones. I couldn't find Creedence Clearwater anywhere. And then 30 years from now, 40 years from now, or whatever, my case will be gone, but <laughs> all of a sudden somebody comes up and starts playing Beatles and Rolling Stones and John Fogarty. I'm going to want to hear Proud Mary. I'm going to want to hear Let It Be. I'm going to want to hear Sympathy of the Devil when there's so much good other work that's out there. But if you're performing to somebody that's unfamiliar, but they're familiar with the concept, but not really familiar with the the depth of work that Schubert might do, for example, or in this case, Mazinski, right? You want to present something that's familiar. Otherwise, those that support you stop supporting you. Is that accurate? You got to play the hits. Accurate. You got to yeah, play the yeah. hits, you know? Yeah, yeah, but so what we do is we play a hit and then we add one of these unusual pieces to it. Um, and in his case, the, the excerpt that I'm giving you is a theme in variations. And a theme in variations is very, very much like what you would hear with a jazz trio or quintet where everybody plays their own solo. Uh -huh. Sort of based, uh, well, uh, it's going to be based on the same baseline, of course, because the baseline continues throughout, mm -hmm. you know, but it's going to, it's going to pull from, from the theme the tune that you start out with yeah right and then right. it's gonna just embellish it so so they write it out for us so we have the notes in front of us mm -hmm. very rarely do we improvise other than a little bit um, and i wanted to bring that up when we were talking about jazz earlier that mm -hmm. jazz is almost all improvisation mm -hmm. whereas you're, you're very structured you play this no because i think mary you said that as a pianist you'll say oh, you missed a note there you can pick yes. that out right so it's, yeah, it's right. much more structured, much more precise. Yes. I mean, uh, except for the last sort of 30 years where quite a number of things um, add in large, large stretches of improvisation. So we are getting better and better at it. But but it's almost trained out of us. Okay. Isn't uh, that sad? <laughs> well, uh, I was thinking of Fire on High. It's a song by the Electric Light Orchestra. And it begins with da 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 All right. Which is a I don't I don't know who that is, but uh, Beethoven. Very, Beethoven. Yeah. Okay, was that his mm -hmm. fifth? Was that the fifth? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but then they go into this whole thing with synthesizers and electronics and heavy metal kind of sound, but the bass is always. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. It keeps coming back to that. That's interesting. They they actually managed to do that. There was another band too, I think, that did that. That did uh, that took classical music and rock and rolled it. And then came back to classical music. Mm -hmm. It was really neat how they did that. I was also thinking, did you ever see the movie Fame? Yeah, of course. And when Fame came out, I was absolutely mesmerized where the the gentleman walks in with all his synthesizers while they're getting ready to do the orchestral, uh, the orchestral part of the show or whatever. He's like, well, where's your instruments? Because it's all I need. And he just hits like a, a low bass note. And from that, he develops this entire full orchestral sound just with him in a machine that's a and really long time ago in electronic instruments too yeah 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 right oh, yeah now I mean, they're doing way more things with their with the electronic instruments but there's a there's a there's a 
a flip version of that where my mother and I went into a, a concert that we were going to play for a local school in the Adirondack Mountains. And the guy's standing there very proudly with his cords asking where he's going to plug us in. <laughs> we are acoustic. We don't plug right, in. Right. <laughs> so funny. So let's get back to this. This is the last song we're going to listen to. Uh, you said that, uh, I'm going to butcher it again. Musinski? Close, Musinski. Okay. Musinski. Okay. Oh, like music. Music. Musinski. Yes, okay. Very much it's like that. Chicago. You're Chicago based, like you. Mm -hmm. And 20th century? 1968. Yeah. And it's just the two of you, right? It's Mary mm -hmm. and, and Dorothy. Mm -hmm. Anything you want to add to it here, or should we just play it? Just play it. Let's play it. Okay. The Aliento Chamber Players from East Kingston, New Hampshire, here on the Music of America podcast. And the piece is Sonata. Is there, wait, no, there's, is there a piece name? I didn't even see that. It's Sonata. That's all it is. It's just it's a Sonata. Sonata. I think it's Sonata for cello and piano. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's the okay. best you've, we've got. <laughs> so no trout, no Agatha, just Sonata. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, here we go then. Musinski's uh, Sonata with cello and piano on the Music of America podcast.
Well, I'm glad we figured that one out. That's uh, Musinski's Cello and Piano Sonata from 1968, featuring Mary and Dorothy, our, two of our guests here on the Music of America podcast, not to single out Louise Kendall, who is also oh, Louise Candle, right? Candle? Like a candle in the wind. Different song, different. Anyway, so uh, ladies, this is the portion of the show we call Shameless Self-Promotion because there are so many members in the Aliento Chamber players, and you may or may not have solo projects that you work on on your own. Let's go around the room, as we used to say, and uh, each of you talk about a single project that you work on. And if you don't have a single project, then talk about the Aliento Chamber players, how we as an audience can support you, uh, where we can hear your music, where we can find your music, where we can see you perform, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll start with, I guess, Dorothy, we'll start with you because you're the one that uh, kind of put this whole thing together with you and I to to make this happen today. So uh, solo work, do you have any solo work or anything that you want to promote about yourself? Well, we're actually about to perform something with uh, Dr. Sang too, um called Dropping In on the 20s. It's uh, George Antheil's a Jazz Symphony 1952 version and George Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which is always an awful lot of fun. Um, and Louise and I will both be playing in that. It is going to be an, on the 22nd of January at UNH, I believe. Yep, Johnson Theater, Paul Creatives Arts Center in Durham, New Hampshire. Okay. Somewhere where we've all performed in the past. Um, Alianto Chamber Players typically is at the Dance Hall Kittery, which is a lovely venue. Um, your other guests will are frequently performing also at the Dance Hall Kittery. I believe that's their seat. That's where they started. And um, it's just a beautiful little venue that was originally a Grange Hall. Huh. There's Grange Halls all over the East Coast. Yeah. Um, I imagine they're probably all over the United States based on the same um, set of architectural drawings. I don't know why, but the acoustic there is amazing. And it's a smaller hall, about 120 people. So not your typical thousands of, of people arena. Are you so doing that's, any... that's my shameless self-promotion. Okay. I... I, I mean, I've been, I have many, many things in the works over the next couple of months with a, a enormous amount of groups. So it, we really get around um, 
Louise and I also perform in the unit, New Hampshire Philharmonic. We're about to do Mahler's Resurrection Symphony. Oh, amazing, amazing, amazing. That's a desert island piece that's for chorus and or full orchestra. So much fun. So that's me. Okay, Louise, how about you? Any Anything that you want to promote about yourself or anything else you'd like to add about the Aliento Chamber Players? So I'm not a solo player. I'm like, I love being part of a group. That's my thing. You know, if, and if that group is two people, three people, or like we're going to be in the Mahler, we are 150 people. We're going to wow. be sometimes 200 on stage. I uh -huh. talked to the conductor last night. He's like between 150 and 200 people on stage for that Mahler. So between that, you know, but my favorite is definitely the smaller settings and the quartet or the quintet. That That's my ultimate that's that's my favorite constellation with or without piano or two cellos or two violas so i think my pitch to the audience is uh, invest in your children i also teach a lot and they are the future of this music and the live music and it's acoustic it's something you can bring with you everywhere and it is a little bit more challenging sometimes to get started on a string instrument. It's not like you go to piano and strike it right away. Mm -hmm. But after that off ramp, you know, the, 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 it's very rewarding. And uh, once you get hooked, you have something for life. You don't have to retire at 40 because your body tells you you can't play soccer anymore. This is something you can do into your 90s, your whole life. Play music right. and play with others and build bridges. Music is an international language. Uh, you can play together you don't have to be able to speak together but you can play together so we read the same music so building bridges and invest in your children and give them a music education with live music support your live musicians the adults and support your school programs and support anything where children make music so where are you in new hampshire are you in east kingston louise i'm in durham you're in durham so if somebody in durham wants to get their child enrolled in violin lessons through you how do they reach you um i think i will probably ease i don't have a website but uh, i have i do this in the grapevine okay <laughs> and, and and my name you know like you can google i think it would be an easy way but uh, otherwise louise candle at gmail.com there we go and that's candle with a k yes mary well, is, is, uh, wait, first, something that Louise said, is it that easy? You just plop down and just start hitting the keys? Yes, but it's not always a pleasant thing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, it's very true. At the beginning, um, you know, piano is very often the first instrument somebody will go to to learn because you can make a sound mm -hmm. straight away really easily. It's not painful on <laughs> a stringed right. instrument, your first sound. You know, a small child dragging a bow across the string can often be not very pleasant. Um, but the piano can very quickly become extremely challenging. You know, yeah. it's not an easy instrument. Um, but I love what Lu Louise is just an amazing teacher, as is Dorothy. Uh, we all are professional musicians, and teaching is a big part of our bread and butter and how we cobble together a living. Yeah. Um, so we all teach um, in, as far as what I am doing currently as I think you know when we met earlier <laughs> I mentioned that I've just moved away from the seacoast um, southeastern New Hampshire to southwestern New Hampshire and I am building a studio attached to my house 
which I'm hoping to start a new chamber music series. I think I'll be able to see 40, 50 people wow. in here. And it's a beautiful space looking out into the woods. And right now we just had about a foot of snow the other day. So it's especially gorgeous out there. And, um, you know, a new place to make music. I'm hoping to do some recording and perhaps video out here and we'll see what happens. And I've already named the studio, it's Spring Hill Studio in Sharon, New Hampshire. Um, we're not quite up and running yet, but we're getting there. We still have a little bit more work to do. Um, but I'm very excited about, you know, this next chapter for me. And, That's uh, really exciting. Yeah. Um, we actually host small, uh, small host, uh, set it up as a hosting site, a small venue for people to come. Absolutely. Were, when you yeah. said 40 to so, 50 people, I don't know if you're going to have 40 or 50 musicians in there or, or have a three piece <laughs> or have a quintet well, and 35 yeah. audience members. So, yes, there you go. Yeah. 40, 50 people in terms of the audience and then have small groups perform in here. And to find you, would it be Instagram, Facebook? Uh, um, I do have a website, marytausbeck.com. And uh, they can definitely Better spell that out, it. please. Mary Taus, T O W S E. E, yeah, M A R Y T O W S E B E C K dot com. No hyphen or anything. No, okay. No, it's all there. Yeah. And um, working on a new website for the studio, Spring Hill Studio, um, which is, will be up and running soon. Well, when Pretty it's old. up and running, reach out to me and we'll, we'll, plug it a little bit on the either on the website or on the podcast or something that would be okay. fantastic i'd yeah. love to and uh yeah. dorothy the same with i'm i'm, a, I'm assuming the aliento chamber players is all uh supported by you guys and yes. listeners supported at a minuscule <laughs> right i mean any donations people can make or whatever to the players organization can be done at aliento chamber dot org dot org okay and you specifically, are you also in the instruction and teacher profession? And where can people reach out to you if they want to learn the cello? Or I anything? do teach. Um, you can reach me at dorothybreaker at gmail.com okay. or message me on Aliento Chamber or um, on my Aliento Chamber uh, site on Facebook. Okay. Ladies, thank you. This has uh, been so rewarding for me because I'm so ignorant about classical music, chamber music. And in in the time that we've spent together, I feel like I won't be lost next time I go to the symphony or next time I hear chamber music play. So so go to the symphony. Go to the symphony. Yeah. Go, um, you've, you've got one of the best ones right in your backyard. Oh, St. Louis Symphony? Oh, yeah. In the entire world. That I've heard that. I've heard it's that. a world-class symphony. Yeah. That's yeah, so go cool. hear them. They're well, awesome. if you all if are ever in the St. Louis area, too, Drop on mm -hmm. by. We'll go uh, sure. have a glass of wine before we catch a perfect, a whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Not really a show. What do you call it? performance? I guess right. Performance. In performance. You can always say show. Okay. <laughs> we use interchangeable language. We really do. Uh, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. We'll we'll go to the symphony and then right by the the Sheldon where a lot of concerts are are performed. We'll go right down the street. There's a really jazz on the bistro right by there. So we'll get a little bit of both. About that sounds like fun. Sounds Again, wonderful. ladies, thank you so much. Uh, doors open all the time. Aliento Chamber Players, our guests today here on the Music of America. 
Aliento Chamber players, our guest today on the Music of America podcast. Up next, from Lebanon, New Hampshire, the Conniption Fits. You've been listening to the Music of America podcast. If you like today's show, please go to the website at www.musicofamericapod.com or our Music of America podcast Facebook page. Like us and follow the show and episodes. We tally the votes of all our shows, and the most listened to shows will be rebroadcast on our best of shows at the end of the season. I look forward to having you with us again and listening to the Music of America.